Section 64 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 64 appendix to the reign of james i part four queen elizabeth had done little more than given a name to the continent of virginia and after her planting one feeble colony which quickly decayed that country was entirely abandoned but when peace put an end to the military enterprises against spain and left ambitious spirits no hopes of making any longer such rapid advances towards honor and fortune the nation began to second the pacific intentions of its monarch and to seek a surer though slower expedient for acquiring riches and glory in sixteen o six newport carried over a colony and began a settlement which the company erected by patent for that purpose in london and bristol took care to supply with yearly recruits of provisions utensils and new inhabitants about sixteen o nine Argyll discovered a more direct and shorter passage to Virginia, and left the track of the ancient navigators who had first directed their course southwards to the tropics, sailed westwards by means of the trade winds, and then turned northwards till they reached the English settlements. The same year, five hundred persons under Sir Thomas Gates and Sir George Somers were embarked for Virginia. Somers' ships meeting with a tempest was driven into the bermudas and laid the foundation of a settlement in those islands lord delware afterwards undertook the government of the english colonies but notwithstanding all his care seconded by supplies from james and by money raised from the first lottery ever known in the kingdom such difficulties attended the settlement of these countries that in sixteen fourteen there were not alive more than four hundred men of all that had been sent thither after supplying themselves with provisions more immediately necessary for the support of life the new planters began the cultivating of tobacco and james notwithstanding his antipathy to that drug which he affirmed to be pernicious to men's morals as well as their health gave them permission to enter it in england and he inhibited by proclamation all importation of it from spain by degrees new colonies were established in that continent and gave new names to the places where they settled leaving that of virginia to the province first planted the island of barbados was also planted in this reign speculative reasoners during that age raised many objections to the planning of those remote colonies and foretold that after draining their mother country of inhabitants they would soon shake off her yoke and erect an independent government in america but time has shown that the views entertained by those who encouraged such generous undertakings were more just and solid a mild government and a great naval force have preserved and may still preserve during some time the dominion of england over her colonies and such advantages have commerce and navigation reaped from these establishments that more than a fourth of the english shipping is at present computed to be employed in carrying on the traffic with the american settlements 
agriculture was anciently very imperfect in england the sudden transitions so often mentioned by historians from the lowest to the highest price of grain and the prodigious inequality of its values in different years are sufficient proofs that the produce depended entirely on the seasons and that art had as yet done nothing to fence against the injuries of the heavens during this reign considerable improvements were made as in most arts so in this the most beneficial of any a numerous catalogue might be formed of books and pamphlets treating of husbandry which were written about this time the nation however was still dependent on foreigners for daily bread and though its exportation of grain forms a considerable branch of its commerce notwithstanding its probable increase of people there was in that period a regular importation from the baltic as well as from france and if it ever stopped the bad consequences were sensibly felt by the nation sir walter raleigh in his observations computes that two millions went out at one time for corn it was not till the fifth of elizabeth that the exportation of corn had been allowed in england and camden observes that agriculture from that moment received new life and vigor the endeavors of james or more properly speaking those of the nation for promoting trade were attended with greater success than those for the encouragement of learning though the age was by no means destitute of eminent writers a very bad taste in general prevailed during that period and the monarch himself was not a little infected with it on the origin of letters among the greeks the genius of poets and orators as might naturally be expected was distinguished by an amiable simplicity which whatever rudeness may sometimes attend it is so fitted to express the genuine movements of nature and passion that the compositions possessed of it must ever appear valuable to the discerning part of mankind the glaring figures of discourse the pointed antithesis the unnatural conceit the jingle of words such false ornaments were not employed by early writers not because they were rejected but because they scarcely ever occurred to them an easy unforced strain of sentiments runs through their compositions though at the same time we may observe that amidst the most elegant simplicity of thought and expression one is sometimes surprised to meet with a poor conceit which had presented itself unsought for and which the author had not acquired critical observation enough to condemn a bad taste seizes with avidity these frivolous beauties and even perhaps a good taste ere surfeited by them they multiply every day more and more in the fashionable compositions nature and good sense are neglected labored ornaments studied and admired and a total degeneracy of style and language prepares the way for barbarism and ignorance hence the asiatic manner was found to depart so much from the simple purity of athens hence that tinsel eloquence which is observable in many of the roman writers from which cicero himself is not wholly exempted and which so much prevails in ovid seneca lucian marshall and the plinies on the revival of letters when the judgment of the public is yet raw and unformed this false glitter catches the eye and leaves no room either in eloquence or poetry 
for the durable beauties of solid sense and lively passion the reigning genius is then diametrically opposite to that which prevails on the first origins of arts the italian writers it is evident even the most celebrated have not reached the proper simplicity of thought and composition and in petrarch tasso guarnieri frivolous witticisms and forced conceits are but too predominant the period during which letters were cultivated in italy was so short as scarcely to allow leisure for correcting this adulterated relish the more early french writers are liable to the same reproach Vuitour, balzac even corneille have too much affected those ambitious ornaments of which the italians in general and least pure of the ancients supplied them with so many models and it was not till late that observation and reflection gave rise to a more natural turn of thought and composition among that elegant people a like character may be extended to the first english writers such as flourished during the reigns of elizabeth and james and even till long afterwards learning on its revival in this island was attired in the same unnatural garb which it wore at the time of its decay among the greek and romans and what may be regarded as a misfortune the english writers were possessed of great genius before they were endowed with any degree of taste and by that means gave a kind of sanction to those forced turns and sentiments which they so much affected their distorted conceptions and expressions are attended with such vigour of mind that we admire the imagination which produced them as much as we blame the want of judgment which gave them admittance to enter into an exact criticism of the writers of that age would exceed our present purpose a short character of the most eminent delivered with the same freedom which history exercises over kings and ministers may not be improper the national prepossessions which prevail will perhaps render the former liberty not the least perilous for the author if shakespeare be considered as a man born in a rude age and educated in the lowest manner without any instruction either from the world or from books he may be regarded as a prodigy if represented as a poet capable of furnishing a proper entertainment to a refined or intelligent audience we must abate much of this eulogy in his compositions we regret that many irregularities and even absurdities should so frequently disfigure the animated and passionate scenes intermixed with them and at the same time we perhaps admire the more those beauties on account of their being surrounded with such deformities a striking peculiarity of sentiment adapted to a singular character he frequently hits as it were by inspiration but a reasonable propriety of thought he cannot for any time uphold nervous and picturesque expressions as well as descriptions abound in him but it is in vain we look either for purity or simplicity of diction his total ignorance of all theatrical art and conduct however material a defect yet as it affects the spectator rather than the reader we can more easily excuse than that want of taste which often prevails in his productions and which gives way only by intervals to the irradiations of genius a great and fertile genius he certainly possessed and one enriched equally with a tragic and comic vein 
but he ought to be cited as a proof how dangerous it is to rely on these advantages alone for attaining an excellence in the finer arts and there may even remain a suspicion that we overrate if possible the greatness of his genius in the same manner as bodies often appear more gigantic on account of their being disproportioned and misshapen he died in sixteen sixteen aged fifty-three years johnson possessed all the learning which was wanting to shakespeare and wanted all the genius of which the other was possessed both of them were equally deficient in taste and elegance in harmony and correctness a servile copyist of the ancients johnson translated into bad english the beautiful passages of greek and roman authors without accommodating them to the manners of his age and country his merit has been totally eclipsed by that of shakespeare whose rude genius prevailed over the rude art of his contemporary the english theatre has ever taken a strong tincture of shakespeare's spirit and character and thence it has proceeded that the nation has undergone from all its neighbours the reproach of barbarism from which its valuable productions in some other part of learning would otherwise have exempted it johnson had a pension of a hundred marks from the king which charles afterwards augmented to a hundred pounds he died in sixteen thirty seven aged sixty three fairfax has translated tasso with an elegance and ease and at the same time with an exactness which for that age are surprising each line in the original is faithfully rendered by a correspondent line in the translation harrington's translation of ariosto is not likewise without its merit it is to be regretted that these poets should have imitated the italians in their stanza which has a prolixity and uniformity in it that displeases in long performances they had otherwise as well as spencer who went before them contributed much to the polishing and refining of the english versification in dunn's satires when carefully inspected there appear some flashes of wit and ingenuity but these totally suffocated and buried by the harshest and most uncouth expression that is anywhere to be met with if the poetry of the english was so rude and imperfect during that age we may reasonably expect that their prose would be liable to still greater objections though the latter appears the more easy as it is the more natural method of composition it has ever in practice been found the more rare and difficult and there scarcely is an instance in any language that it has reached a degree of perfection before the refinement of poetical numbers and expression english prose during the reign of james was written with little regard to the rules of grammar and with a total disregard to the elegance and harmony of the period stuffed with latin sentences and quotations it likewise imitated those inventions which however forcible and graceful in the ancient languages are entirely contrary to the idiom of english i shall indeed venture to affirm that whatever uncouth phrases and expressions occur in old books they are chiefly owing to the unformed taste of the author and that the language spoken in the courts of elizabeth and james was very little different from that which we meet with at present in good company of this opinion 
the little scraps of speeches which are found in the parliamentary journals and which carry all air so opposite to the laboured rations seem to be a sufficient proof and there want not productions of that age which being written by men who were not authors by profession retain a very natural manner and may give us some idea of the language which prevailed among the men of the world i shall particularly mention sir john davis's discovery throgmorton's essex's and neville's letters in a more early period cavendish's life of cardinal wolseley the pieces that remain of bishop gardiner's and anne boleyn's letter to the king differ little or nothing from the language of our time the great glory of literature in this island during the reign of james was lord bacon most of his performances were composed in latin though he possessed neither the elegance of that nor of his native tongue if we consider the variety of talents displayed by this man as a public speaker a man of business a wit a courtier a companion an author a philosopher he is justly the object of great admiration if we consider him merely as an author and philosopher the light in which we view him at present though very estimable he was yet inferior to his contemporary galileo perhaps even to kepler bacon pointed out at a distance the road to true philosophy galileo both pointed it out to others and made himself considerable advances in it the englishman was ignorant of geometry the florentine revived that science excelled in it and was the first that applied it together with experiment to natural philosophy the former rejected with the most positive disdain the system of copernicus the latter fortified it with new proofs derived both from reason and the senses bacon's style is stiff and rigid his wit though often brilliant is also often unnatural and far-fetched and he seems to be the original of those pointed similes and long-spun allegories which so much distinguish the english authors galileo is a lively and agreeable though somewhat a prolix writer but italy not united in any single government and perhaps satiated with that literary glory which it has possessed both in ancient and modern times has too much neglected the renown which it has acquired by giving birth to so great a man that national spirit which prevails among the english and which forms their great happiness is the cause why they bestow on all their eminent writers and on bacon among the rest such praises and acclamations as may often appear partial and excessive he died in sixteen twenty six in the sixty-sixth year of his life if the reader of raleigh's history can have the patience to wade through the jewish and rabbinical learning which composed the half of the volume he will find when he comes to the greek and roman story that his pains were not unrewarded raleigh is the best model of that ancient style which some writers would affect to revive at present he was beheaded in sixteen eighteen aged sixty six years camden's history of queen elizabeth may be esteemed good composition both for style and matter it is written with simplicity of expression very rare in that age and with a regard to truth it would not perhaps be too much to affirm 
that it is among the best historical productions which have yet been composed by an Englishman. It is well known that the English have not much excelled in that kind of literature. He died in 1623, aged 73 years. We shall mention the king himself at the end of these English writers, because that is his place when considered as an author. It may safely be affirmed that the mediocrity of James' talents in literature, joined to the great change in national taste, is one cause of that contempt under which his memory labors, and which is often carried by party writers to a great extreme. It is remarkable how different from ours were the sentiments of the ancients with regard to learning. Of the first twenty Roman emperors, counting from Caesar to Severus, about half were authors, and though few of them seem to have been eminent in that profession, it is always remarked to their praise that by their example they encouraged literature. Not to mention Germanicus and his daughter Agrippina, persons so nearly allied to the throne, the greater part of the classic writers whose works remain were men of the highest quality. As every human advantage is attended with inconveniences, the change of men's ideas in this particular may probably be ascribed to the invention of printing, which has rendered books so common that even men of slender fortune can have access to them. That James was but a middling writer may be allowed. That he was a contemptible one can by no means be admitted. Whoever will read his Basilicon Doron, particularly the two last books, The True Law of Free Monarchies, his answer to Cardinal Perrin, and almost all his speeches and messages to Parliament, will confess him to have possessed no mean genius. If he wrote concerning witches and apparitions, who in that age did not admit the reality of these fictitious beings? If he has composed a contemporary of the revelations, and proved the Pope to be Antichrist, may not a similar reproach be extended to the famous Napier, and even to newton at a time when learning was much more advanced than during the reign of james from the grossness of its superstitions we may infer the ignorance of an age but never should pronounce concerning the folly of an individual from his admitting popular errors consecrated by the appearance of religion such a superiority do the pursuits of literature possess above every other occupation that even he who obtains but a mediocrity in them merits the preeminence above those that excel the most in the common and vulgar professions. The Speaker of the House of Commons is usually an eminent lawyer, yet the harangue of His Majesty will always be found much superior to that of the Speaker in every Parliament during his reign. Every science, as well as polite literature, must be considered as being yet in its infancy, Scholastic learning and polemical divinity retarded the growth of all true knowledge. Sir Henry Saville, in the preamble of that deed by which he annexed a salary to mathematical and astronomical professors in Oxford, says that geometry was almost totally abandoned and unknown in England. The best learning of that age was the study of the ancients. Casabon, eminent for this species of knowledge, was invited over from France by James, and encouraged by a pension of three hundred pounds a year, as well as by church preferments. 
the famous Antonio de Dominus, Archbishop of Spalatro, no despicable philosopher, came likewise into England, and afforded great triumph to the nation by their gaining so considerable a proselyte from the Papists. But the mortification followed soon after the Archbishop, though advanced to some ecclesiastical preferments, received not encouragement sufficient to satisfy his ambition, and he made his escape into Italy, where he died in confinement. End of section 64, Appendix to the Reign of James I, Part 4 Recording by Richard Carpenter in Seattle, Washington